This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M, and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. It's been a long time, and it's uh, good to see my good friend, Bob Keipel. Bob Keipel, how are you doing today? I am great, and it's good to be here. Thanks, Tom. Uh, we're, we're thrilled today because we're joined by a, a real CX practitioner um, who is the founder and chief operating officer of MMR Live Experience Design, Tricia Houston. Welcome to the show, Tricia. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It is great to have you here, Tricia. And um, as just a way of getting started, could you give us a little background on yourself and your company and how you came to start MMR Live Experience Design? Absolutely. Um, so on myself, um, I have a dual career in both experiential marketing, doing some really cool global stuff for clients like Coke and, and the Olympics and then transitioned into a research career, went back and got my master's at University of Georgia, the master's marketing research program. And through that program kind of found my people um, and was a uh, market researcher, uh, still am, but in a more traditional sense with Home Depot for a couple of years and then on the supplier side. Um, and MMR Live is my brainchild. Um, it sits within MMR Research Associates, which is a boutique uh, full-service market research firm, and really to fill a gap um, that I saw in really helping companies not just make better business decisions, but make better operational decisions in terms of how they structure their companies, their employee programs, and the power that experiences play in that. So not just supporting marketing teams, but supporting the full business. That's awesome. Tom, we have a doer. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. That must must come from from Home Depot. Isn't that part of their slogan? Oh, we changed that when I was there. It's like, you you, you can do it, we can help. But then they uh, went to more saving, more doing. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, more saving, more doing. Yeah, Bob and I are all about doing. Um, And we grow tired of it sometimes, but we love to do too. And, And, you know, doing is... It is a part of your organization. And, um, you know, looking at, at, at your website, I saw the importance of the experience audit, which really intrigues me as it helps organizations uh, understand um, customer experience needs and, and gaps. Can you describe what that process entails and what it's designed uh, to, to help you and your, your clients achieve? The process was really developed to address things when people come to us with a business challenge. So they come and say, hey, my turn rate's too high for my employees or my catering division is underperforming. So we created a custom framework. It's not just like a black box, one size fits all solution. It's more a framework 
that we apply to say, okay, business challenge identified, let's go get to the core of it and figure out where the gaps exist. Now, since we're founded and built on research, that's how we do it. So we'll go in, depending upon the audience, um, I'd say it mostly qualitative is the approach we take. We're doing a lot of interviews. We're doing a lot of uh, customer missions, for example, like if the process is something that's already out in the market, then we're sending customers out to do it and document their experience. Sometimes we're going along with them um, or debriefing with them afterwards, just whatever's appropriate to make sure that it's a good experience for the participant, as well as that we're not influencing you know, their behavior in a way um, that wouldn't give us the, the correct result. So it follows a three-step process, if you will, map, measure, and then modify. So in the mapping phase, we're really documenting the current state and starting to identify some of those gaps, right, on our own. And then we're going to go out and measure. We're going to talk to those people, observe those people, um, and gather all the feedback from relevant stakeholders and then create the modification plan. Hey, here's what we think you need to go fix. Um, these are the, the big red flags, these are the low hanging fruit, uh, you know, maybe consider for future. Um, and that's kind of what the audit process is. So um, when, when should organizations conduct experience audits and how do they come to you? Do they come to you because you're known as, um, oh, they can really tell us what it's like to walk in a customer's shoes or, you know, just when do they know and when should they conduct an experience audit? Yeah. And what you said is part of it. So, you know, we know we want to make sure we understand what it's like to be our customer, you know, kind of thing. But I think it's also very tied to innovation um, and innovation in, in two different ways. So one in terms of something exists, but what's next? The future of some sort of you know process. And there was a lot of that during COVID, as you can imagine, right? because how we're interacting with society is changing, how we're consuming things is changing. Okay, so what is the future of fast food? What is the future of fine dining? What is the future of all these different types of things? So they'll come to us and say, what can we learn from how people are changing? Go audit that current state to think of the future state. The other one is, companies who are putting new innovations out into the marketplace and want to make sure they're not being disruptive, right? So we'll work with a lot of companies who have innovation labs and sure, we'll help them test while it's in kind of the prototype lab phase. But once they actually do a pilot market launch, hey, let's go make sure we're not mucking this up, right? <laughs> let's, you know, audit the new experience, make sure it's not impacting the employees, the customers and all sorts of uh, the different stakeholders. Interesting. So, you know, obviously you worked with a lot of organizations uh, across different industries and, and, and different situational factors um, for uh, experience audits. What are some of the most common gaps that your experience audits reveal? We, um, that's something we really do pay attention to, Tom, like looking across kind of our body of work. And, and we did this exercise a couple of years ago uh, to do exactly that. And what came out of it was something we call the live eight. So it's eight kind of design principles. And the, these are out, out on our website. We hope everybody takes a look at them. It goes and see if they can find gaps with them. This is not proprietary. We want the, you know, we believe that anybody is in a position to look for gaps. The live eight 
are the most common places that we tend to find them. So in things like, are you actually taking action on the feedback that you receive? Are you designing for all? So meaning, are there folks you're leaving out of these experiences you're creating? That's part accessibility. It's part, you know, maybe a, a nursing mom, you know, are you considering the experiences that you might not have yourself? Um, and, you know, communication is a big part of a lot of the live aid. Um, and a lot of it can be fixed through better communication, better managing of expectations, and heck, even just communication, like internally across departments. So when we look for gaps, oftentimes I feel like we're playing therapist <laughs> or, you know, um, to help people just work well together, communicate well together and translate. <laughs> So I was about to ask you, I think maybe you just answered the question about what the biggest challenges um, or the most common gaps that you find. Is it is it in the communication realm? Yeah, I, I, I would say like when you get down to tactically what the solution is, um, it tends to be a communication um, or process problem. And when like, we say communication, is it um, can it be from the leadership? to everyone else or is it at all levels or just does it depend on the situation i would um it can be all levels and and lack of communication clarity of communication um so it kind of comes back to process bob um you know sometimes i describe it this way so you can communication is the tool but what's really missing is a process for information or steps that need to happen to be communicated, right? So it's a lack of process that's in place or training, um, procedure, sharing the why, sharing the vision from the top down, like you said, like, why are we heading in this direction? What's our goal? What's our purpose? What's our filter? Right. And um, what's an example of, you know, trying to fix those gaps? Can you give us this, some an experience maybe without naming the company, but like, what's a situation where you said, oh, the communication is terrible in this particular situation. So how do you fix that? Yeah. And so I mentioned, um, so our work kind of falls into three main buckets. I'd talk to you guys about the imagine bucket, the what's next, the improve bucket. What do we need to fix? Our third bucket is implement. And so that's where this comes into play. And I do have an example I can talk about. We did some pro bono work um, for Zoo Atlanta. Um, we're based here in Atlanta. Our team is not all in Atlanta, but I am. And this was pre-pandemic. Um, and the zoo was undergoing a lot of disruption. So they were um, building a new habitat for all the, the animals that live on like the African savanna kind of habitat. So the elephants, the giraffes and things like that. So they were off exhibit for a while. They were doing construction in the parking lot. They were updating the location of the main entrance and they knew that this was gonna disrupt for their members, which is a huge source of income. It's basically like members is like seasons pass, right? Like you pay, you know, a sure. hundred bucks and you go to the zoo. So, so we came to them to say, okay, how can we figure out how to not have that process be disrupted? And what we found, the first thing we did was talk to all the internal stakeholders to figure out where the gaps might be. So we talked to the zookeeper, the gift shop owner, the parking lot manager, you, you name it, and then went out and talked to um, actual patrons in the zoo and members. And the biggest gaps we found were in um, food service, 
and dealing with the volunteers. Um, so a lot of, especially people who come frequently, they want to hear really like detailed stuff about the zoo. And, but the volunteers basically didn't know the answers. So they would come in saying, hey, I read about this program in my uh, newsletter. Can you tell me more about that? And the volunteers would be like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so a simple mm. communication solution in that situation was, well, let's have a daily huddle for the volunteers where somebody from corporate steps or like the, I forget what they call their support center office or whatever, steps out and tells them, right? Hey, these are the new things going on. Takes 10 minutes. And it, it changed the, the course of what the volunteers were able to provide as information. So the solutions don't seem like rocket science. It's just, you got to connect all the dots to find where those gaps are. And um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it was the same with food service. When we went out and actually talked to the food service, we found that people were wanting things from food service in terms of how the food was packaged, um, you know, to be able to take it to go, or it was simple things like that, right? It was small fixes that the zoo could ultimately make um, to actually elevate this experience for those members. That's awesome. I, I think it's so important, you know, su supporting the frontline people and um, really understanding the individual steps. It makes me think about journey mapping, which a lot of people listening to this will be very familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, based on what you do and your approach, um, how would you assess, compare, contrast? Do you like journey mapping? Do you do it? Is it your approach hybrid or part of your process? How would you say it fits into your world? It's like the, um, the core, I guess you could say. Um, you know, when being in the research world, like a survey is kind of like the base document of a lot of things you do, right? And for us, a journey map, whatever we want to, call it a journey map, a experience map is kind of like that core. It typically directs our projects. So that's why we do love them and we do start there. However, I think a key thing we believe and focus on is just because I made that map, I'm not done. A map that you just make and then hang on a wall or make really pretty and share around the organization, that's not going to drive action. That's just documenting. What's yeah, there's a lot of that out there, isn't there? Um, and organizations that contract to, to have personas created and journey maps, and they end up on a bookshelf somewhere on a wall. And to, to your point, you know, they, they should they should entreat people and, and, and invite greater interest in, in research and in innovation. Um, we think of them as living, breathing documents, right? You know, yeah. I talked to you yeah. um, when we were starting up live, I mean, they would call like the maps, like artifacts, right? You know, like they were done, make them pretty, hang them on the wall. Mm. And it's like, no, you make them in, um, they're going to be messy. They might not be pretty. I mean, we, we like to use Miro. I mean, that's our tool of choice. Mm. I mean, mural, Miro, you know, heck you can do them in PowerPoint. It, you know, the tool matters not, but they shouldn't should not be static and they should be refreshed and revisited and used um i mean i used to i lament you know like before covid we had gotten like a war room here in atlanta and that was the whole purpose right we could have all the sticky notes on the wall and work through mm -hmm. a whole client thing for a couple of weeks and but now we're doing it virtually <laughs> so so you, you, you brought up some employee issues and we, you know, in the CX world, we, we've heard a lot about 
um, EX and CX or EX equals CX or satisfied employees equal um, um, satisfied customers. We know it's not as simple uh, as that. Uh, we know it's very complicated, but how do you and your organization working with your clients prioritize um, EX versus CX? Um, and what comes first and, and how do they get, get worked on? Is that at the same time or you do one before the other, understanding the causal effect? How, how does that all work? Great question. Um, we like to think of it like concentric circles so that the employees are the, the core mm-hmm. and then the customers, and then maybe you have shareholders or in, you know whatever, you kind of go out based on the organization. However, the reality of, of it is you can't start in the middle always. Um, because if you only, we find if you assume that you have to start with the employees, even though they are the core, we believe there's probably fires you need to put out with the customers if your core isn't right. So it becomes a parallel process of, okay, what's going on in the front lines that is just critical that you have to fix that's tactical. And then you start in the middle and have to work on the culture, which is ultimately going to fix it's, it's more cultural, right? It's, it's because even though you're probably tactically writing things like training manuals and processes and this, that, and the other, you have to get the mindset, right. So that the employees will come along with what you're doing. That takes obviously longer, right? So it's like, we work on them in parallel paths um, to be able to bring the employees along, but making sure we're putting as much frontline stuff in place to help those users or customers or, you know, whatever that audience might be. What what are your thoughts about um, trying to make things consistent in terms of if you're an employee and there are certain goals for customer service, um, do you leave it to the employees? Do you script things or does it depend on the situation? Um, in order to really increase the value of your brand and what people think about you say at the zoo, you know, with those volunteers, you know, how do you coach them so that they're really doing it the way you want it? Good question. Um, I would say a script is a, um, a bandaid. So if you're having to do a script, that probably means that you're not communicating very well, the purpose and mission of why we even exist as an organization to give that frontline employee, the filter to make the decisions that they need to make. So an example I love to use in this, um, the the zoo is a good one, but I think one that folks might be familiar with is, is, is Zappos, right? So you, if you go to Zappos and you go do the tour, um, they'll tell you, you know, we're a customer service organization who happens to sell shoes. Everything about that building, that culture is built around how can we make our employees feel engaged and our customers feel supported. And by preaching that and talking about that and walking that talk, they don't need a script because it's so like, it's a mindset. So I I talk a lot when I do, when I, um, you know, I like to do like seminars and stuff. And I do them at Georgia. I've, I've done them actually uh, for the undergrads at MSU and, and, the, and the market research program. I talk about experiences and mindset. It's not a department. And if you don't have that mindset throughout the organization, you're just going to continue to have silos, right? So it's not your customer experience or call center or customer support folks are super important, 
but that doesn't solve the problem. It has to be a whole organization, um, you know, throughout. And it's beyond, I believe, I know customer centricity is like a, you know, a more current kind of buzzword. And while I, I get the, I get it and it, it, you know, makes business sense. I, I think it's a little bit beyond that in terms of like, you got to believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has mm-hmm. North star kind of stuff. So yeah, people know what to say. People know what to say. Yeah. We're all smart. We all go, yeah, the customer, we're, we're, oh, passionate. No, we're the not, most passionate, whatever. No, that's not true, Bob. We we're know not. what to say. We know what to say, but it's the doing. Yeah, that's the evidence. Right. It's coming from inside. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Trisha, yeah. let me draw an example from your own backyard. Isn't Chick-fil-A a, um, kind of a hybrid reflection of that? Because they do have a service script, but their employees are really engaged and they come across as being genuine when they, when they deliver it. What um, do you mean by they have a service script? Well, you know, when you go through the drive-thru, you get, you get the same, you know, the same words are being said. Um, well, they do say my pleasure. They, they do yeah, say my that. pleasure. They ask. Yes. So there, there's a very constant that, that standardization is really critical. But one thing that I've noticed, particularly with COVID is their ability to deal with the demand um, through the drive-through um, that 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 COVID um, ha- has created, and their employees' engagement in that process—they don't appear to be demoralized. They, they in, in my personal interactions, they seem to to be genuinely engaged, and those words come na- natural to them. Now we contrast them with. Um, not not to be named some of their their other cousins in fast food and they're falling apart um so you know there is a there is a i think fast food is one area where there is a a service script and to bob's point it is designed to deliver a a, um a consistent experience but that service script is going to come much more naturally um and be much more authentic i guess that's a better word to use if they truly believe in the words that they're saying and why it's important to say them, right? And and I, yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. I would question whether I would consider their signature. And yes, we, my kids love Chick-fil-A. We probably eat it way too much, <laughs> but I think that my pleasure line to me, I don't know that I would call that, a, I see what you're saying, Tom. Like, I, I don't know if I call it a script as I would call it a brand touchstone. It, it is just part of who they want to, to be. And, and meaning like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I've never worked at a Chick-fil-A. Like, I don't know if they're like, you, know, you should say that, or it's more just like you start saying that, right. Because you, you just hear it and that's the mantra around there. So I think there's a fine line between like what I was talking about earlier, like true scripting, right? Like here's the top, if the customer says this, oh, this. you remember like you call like, you know, right? yeah, you call and they go, they go, uh, Oh, I am so sorry, sir, for your inconvenience. And you're talking to somebody on the other side of the world. Yes. I am so sorry. And you're sitting there clicking for the next thing to say. <laughs> That's yeah, they're not powered. They're not trained. Yeah. So I, I, that was a good call out, Tom. I, I mean, I see. Yeah, and I imagine, you know, to your point, I think that's all explained too. like, like even getting people's names. I, I'm sure, you know, it is part of their, when they take, and if you go through the drive-through, they're asking the same questions and they're, they're asking in the same way and they're getting your name. And then when you drive up to the window, you know, good morning, Tom. Um, 
And so I get that from a standardization way, but I imagine what they're doing too is they're impressing on their people the importance of being greeted by your name as opposed to, you know, just anybody who's- uh, Yeah, exactly. That impacts us emotionally and, and why it's important to say my, my pleasure instead of, um, you know- No yeah, problem. You know, no problem there or whatever, you know, that, mm -hmm. that hey, my pleasure to your point it, it is reflective of the brand, but it's also reflective of the mindset and the attitude and behavior they want to see in everybody. But as you know, you know, as we well know, you know, as we look at the the, the um, fast food environment, um, you know, uh, places like you know, in the TikTok videos that you see of what's happening at at Wendy's um, and McDonald's, and and you know the inability to staff, and then I look at chick-fil-a and i see them running two lanes and there's four people you know four people out there taking orders with ipads and 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 interacting with them you know they're they're not exhausted they're not demoralized they seem well, they've got it like top to bottom i mean i'm not an expert on chick-fil-a but you see their commercials are reinforcing what it's like to work there yeah it's 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 interesting and yeah we we know collectively it, it, it's reflective of their culture and and people got to be looking forward to, to, to working there in order. Yeah. To and I, I'll leave, I'll leave it at this. I am, um, this is funny. This just came up in a conference call as on before this, but there's a book called remarkable. Um, and it was written by Randy Ross and David um, Salayers. And David was one of the first, uh, I don't know if he was CMO. I'd have to look here. One of the chief first marketing people at Chick-fil-A, right. He's independent now. And he um, started a co-working um group here in Atlanta called Rome, which has quite a good experience. But anyway, the book is called Remarkable. And I think also when I was saying, Tom, I think my pleasure is like, it's a remarkable thing, you know, that, you know, you are told that at a fast food restaurant um, and how much that plays into something that Chick-fil-A might bring into his culture. It's like making it memorable. Um, so anyway, I'll leave it at that, but well, I'm getting hungry. Um, let's right. go, let's go back to, uh, let's go back a little bit to your business here. So um, MMR live experience design, when you are working with your clients and you've done a project with them and your clients are looking back on their experience with you, um, what are some of the biggest surprises for them from the experience of working with you? Typically how integrated we like to be and inclusive. Um, so when any project we start with, we, we kind of give the disclaimer up front. It's like, we, we, we'd really like your participation. We'd like to share results early and often. We'd like to bring you along on this journey with us when we're doing these audits. Um, we're not fans of the big reveal um, at the end um, because part of seeing what's going on and having empathy for it. Um, I mean, we can communicate that at the end and if we needed to, but it's much more impactful to have them come along. And I, I think we also, one other thing that we find in particular our clients ask us to do is stay involved in work streams. So a lot of our work, we've been working on some of the same business processes and challenges for multiple years. Um, so it's not very much so like come in, do an experience audit and you don't hear us again. It's taking things all the way from prototype phase to pilot phase to into the market and then very iterative kind of phases as things go that's awesome well 
Um, we really, we really appreciate your time, Teresha. This has been, um, this has been fascinating. And listeners, if, if you want to learn more about MMR Live Experience Design and the work they do, uh, you can go to mmr.live, uh, very easy U U URL to find. Uh, thanks, thanks again, Trisha. Really appreciate having you on the show. That was great talking with you both. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tom and Bob Show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.